Hello and welcome to Talking HE. My name is Santanu Vasant. In this episode, we speak to Associate Professors Drs. Marina Harvey and Agnes Bosenkett. Marina and Agnes work at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. Marina is an honorary Associate Professor and an Australian National Teaching Fellow. And Agnes is the University's Director for Learning and Teaching. We discuss what is reflection for learning, what are its benefits, who should reflect, some top tips for undertaking reflection for learning, and how time-poor educators can reflect. We hope you enjoy this episode. Who has been researching practicing, experimenting and teaching and talking about reflection for learning for a very long time. And I'm glad to be here today. And I'm Agnes Bosenkett, Associate Professor and Director of Learning and Teaching at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. And it was Marina who introduced me to reflection when I was a student of hers in a reflection unit when I did a graduate certificate in higher education. Uh, I think, I'm trying to remember how long ago, probably around 13 years ago. Thank you both for your time today. I wanted to start off by asking, what is reflection for learning? Well, this is a very contentious issue in a way because when I first started working in this area, and really, really focusing on it, I started to realise that there wasn't a shared definition. So I went to the literature and I quickly found 24 definitions of reflective practice, of what reflection is, and I wasn't delighted with all of them. I had a favourite, but I didn't wasn't delighted with them all. So I actually committed myself, and it took me many years, um, to come up with a definition that encompasses everything we've been working towards. And when I say we, um, I have my dear colleague Agnes with me in this podcast, and I've been working with over six, other, at least six other people. It, you know, the um, composition changes of our Reflection for Learning circle, where we meet once a month to research reflection to experiment with it to do to debrief on our teaching of reflection and so with all of these people i get trialing and testing different theories and i came up with one and so some of the key concepts in that theory are that it's a deliberate process it's conscientious it's not something that just happens and it's a somatic a whole body experience so we're very very familiar with cognitive reflection that we're using our mind to think um, and often to write text to record our reflections but we haven't been thinking so much about the emotional aspects of it and often even the physical aspects so we need to acknowledge that it's a whole of body experience where we very mindfully contemplate about our past, our present, our future actions in order to learn, 
better understand and ultimately to improve our future action. So it's very action orientated as well. And I think the only thing I'd add to what Marina has said is that my focus is very much on um, reflection for learning for teaching staff. So both how they can model reflection for students to enhance their learning, but also how they can reflect on their teaching practice. And I would say we often talk about researcher reflexivity and the value of that, but what we're really interested in or what I'm interested in in my practice is teacher reflexivity. What are the benefits of reflection for learning? I mean, the reason why we're so enthusiastic about incorporating reflection to support our student learning is that we know that there are benefits. And that's been a great trigger for me to also continue to research the benefits. But it certainly we know it, it works in helping and supporting academic learning for ourselves and our students, so it's whoever's involved. Um, it is very good at achieving praxis, that bridge, that link between the theory of what we're teaching and the actual practice in action. Um, it's great for evidencing our learning. So, you know, you think about e-portfolios and like for assessment, we also use it um, and for authentic learning. But it also develops a range of skills, higher order thinking skills, communication skills. I could go on and on. And it also supports lifelong learning in, again, in very many ways as well. So, Marina, I might do some of that going on and on, but just briefly. And I would say I think it's really helpful for enhancing student creativity and critical thinking and problem solving. They're often many of the things that we put into learning outcomes for students, um, but they can be challenging to assess and to evidence. I was also thinking about this question in relation to how we what, what we want our students to achieve after they finish their university studies. And I was thinking about um, work integrated learning, skills such as emotional intelligence, metacognitive skills. And I think um, the process for students of becoming familiar with your own thinking and your own learning processes is, is beneficial throughout their studies and beyond. And I have one final thing that I think it's useful for, for teachers in particular, and I think this suggestion's a bit out of the box, but I was thinking about it today in what I think as an academic developer, reflection for learning has been of most value for me, is allowing me to reflect on um, my teaching and um, teaching development and the development of others and the way in which it's allowed me to think about how particular um, training or development has gone and whether I have been able to meet the audience and read their needs and respond to others. So I think that that idea of um, reading the room, responding to others and meeting your audience is a skill that you can also develop through reflection. And who should reflect? I say the world. Everybody should reflect. So there has been across thousands, literally, of universities and courses, an expectation that students reflect. And yes, they should reflect, but they need to be supported with that reflection. They need to be scaffolded. 
Um, the educators need to know their students in order to know how best to scaffold their engagement with reflection. Um, so, yes, number one, students most definitely. And as we bring in more and more students into higher education, our cohorts are becoming more diverse. And we need to recognise that with our reflective practices and also offer a diversity of reflective practices. Now, if we expect our students to reflect, we as educators need to be able to reflect. And Agnes has made the really important point that we need to role model that, um, build it into our daily class activities, learning activities. But for example, you know, as an academic developer or an educational developer, I've worked with lots of teams and with all my colleagues, I reflect. So I build it even into our meeting schedules. So everybody, the world. So I would add to that, Marina, um, that one of the things Marina has taught me is the value of collaborative reflection so that it's not just an individual activity, it's, it's a shared activity. So I a strong believer in the value of reflective practice for practitioners, for our students as they move from studying to um, working and practicing. You know, you do want your health professionals, for example, to reflect on critical incidents, to reflect on their decisions, to reflect on the context in which they find themselves and to keep learning, um, all professionals. But I think for health professionals is a good example because people don't necessarily think of reflective practice as something that's really important in particular disciplines. We have found that students are very hungry for those skills and really appreciate the value of reflective practice. I would also say we'd really like to see our leaders in universities reflecting regularly, reflecting about the context in which they are, the decisions they're making, the workplace, um, the futures, the possibilities, the needs of students and staff. So I think reflective leadership is something that's critically important. And what are your top tips for practising reflection for learning? We have lots of tips to vary the activity. Um, scaffolding, number one, role modelling, as Agnes has started off in this podcast, you know, saying that this is so important. So as teachers, as educators, as educational developers, whatever, we need to role model that practice and be brave in doing so. And I find just by being honest with colleagues, with students um, and new reflective practices, I go in and I say, I always say, I believe reflective practice works. Be honest. I believe it works. There are benefits for it. But I'm going to try a new activity today. Um, so it's an experiment. Are you willing to join me? I invite them. And if some students don't want to, they can just sit there. And that's fine. So be willing to accept all of the, the give and take of any sort of educational or professional working environment. Um, but in terms of top tips, with working with, say, educators, with academics, my the biggest tip that I've got is we need to have the evidence behind our practices. Because, and I'll use this term that I've created, dare I, that there's a bit of academic arrogance out there. You know, you go in and say, I've got a reflective practice we're going to try out or we're going to open a 
class with, a lecture with, a meeting with, and some people will simply just cr cross their arms, pull a face, and say why, you know, it doesn't work. So for all of our practices, and we do have a practice guide where they're published, that is free to download for anybody, um, we have gone to the literature and supported it with the evidence, the research evidence, and that makes a big difference. So they're actually some of my big tips. Agnes. So my top tip um, with my academic developer hat on is to the best way to start with reflection is to make your learning visible to students, make your own learning visible to students. So it may be reflecting on what it was like when you started studying and didn't know something. So try to remember that process of not knowing and learning. Um, reflect on the best ways to learn and the best ways um, to communicate with students. Um, share with students what you've learned from previous teaching. So, you know, what feedback have your students given you and how have you taken that on board in what you're presenting to them now? So you make your own learning to students visible. Uh, I do have two further tips and they sound contradictory, but one is to play to your strengths with reflection. So, um, one of my strengths with reflection is written reflection, but I also like um, reflection, you know, through movement. So things like walking the dog and using that as a time for thinking each day, a time for contemplation. Um, perhaps, you know, your strength might be art or music or listening to others. So use those as opportunities to practice reflection. And my next tip contradicts what I just said, and it says, so don't play to your strengths, don't only play to your strengths, but challenge yourself to reflect in different ways. And I think if you can, if you can show your students that you're willing to try something new, that you are challenging yourself to find different ways to reflect with them, um, to reflect, you know, to enable them to reflect on their learning and to enable you to reflect on your teaching, I think students can appreciate that learning is ongoing, that you're still learning as a teacher. I think we always have things that we can reflect on. And going back to Marina's point about diverse student cohorts, one of the things you can reflect on is how inclusive have I been? How can I do that better? How can I listen to my students? Educators are time poor. How can they effectively reflect? Well, I think they should make time. So my, I guess this is another tip, and that is you make take time for reflection. Look, with Agnes and all my colleagues in our Reflection for Learning circle, we have focused now for many years on developing reflective practices that can be done in five minutes. Because even if you're time for poor, you know, you you really can organise your class, your lecture, your meeting to allow for that five minutes. And so we've got a huge suite of resources about different practices that you can do in that short time, ranging from traditional cognitive write something like the minute paper, which we're all familiar with. You know, that can be done in, it takes more than a minute, but it's done You've very quickly. You've stolen my answer, Marina. I was going to say minute papers. But we also have a diverse range, you know, from 
um, mindful and focusing activities where we have people think through a certain activity. We have some physical ones where we get them to do things with their fingers and their hands. Um, and what's the payoff? The payoff is you sacrifice five minutes of content time, but you end up with colleagues, with students, with educators who are focused and therefore productive and they're focused, they're grounded back in the moment and they can achieve things as opposed to having people come into a class because I used to teach lots of postgraduate courses and they used to always schedule them in the evening. So these academics would come in, they'd be tired, they'd be flustered, you know, or I had one cohort, or they would come in, would talk about what wines they bought on the weekend. That's all they wanted to talk about. And, you know, how do you settle them down? So I'd say, right, a five-minute reflection. And after five minutes, we, you know, whatever the reflection was, I actually would go and ask a different person each evening, how do you feel now after that five minutes? And they'd say, oh, yes, I'm a lot calmer now. Well, they were surprised. And by building it in, the other interesting thing is each week after several weeks, the students then asked, what are we doing for reflection today? I build it into my team meetings at work. Same thing happened. Then people start volunteering. Could I lead a reflective activity? So it's really that role modelling, the scaffolding, trying different things out, being willing to be brave and experiment. What would you add, Agnes? I would add that it's it's a matter of reframing your thinking around this is a waste of time to um, this can consolidate students' learning. Mm -hmm. And I think some simple strategies, and I think these often work for people who are relatively new to teaching, is to um, to say give students some thinking time that's built into class. You might be presenting something quite complex or discussing difficult um, readings or theory, offer some thinking time and that allows students to reflect. When you ask students a question, pause afterwards. These are very simple ways that can start to make visible reflection to students that you are allowing them to think. Um, and I think you then slow yourself down so that you're not just speaking rapidly to students, firing complex stuff and asking questions and then getting no response and answering them yourselves. So those are good ways to start. And the other way I'd suggest is trying to tie what you're doing to your disciplinary context. So talk about why those skills are important in your discipline. So why responding to critical incidents, seeking feedback from others, collaborating on how things have gone, debriefing, um, observing things, discuss why particular skills that you develop through reflection are important in your discipline. In terms of what Agnes is, has said as well, it's just being comfortable with silence. You know, that can be a really powerful message that's sent out, that yes, it's okay to think. Um, but really and truly being willing to diversify and try different reflections because to me it's a challenge. If I've got somebody in the classroom or somebody in a meeting who's anti-reflection and sits there with, you know, they're blocking it by crossing their arms physically almost, 
Um, to me, that's a, that's a great challenge. And I just think I'm going to get to the end of it and find something that works for them until I do. And, you know, we always start because we're scaffolding it with the written short reflections. And then we move into the other areas of we might use visual stimulations and things. And with one of my team members once, I had somebody who was very almost antagonistic towards reflection and nothing worked and that was fine you know I always say it's, it's optional and one day I brought in a poem about higher education and we started to share the reading and she completely got into it and that just changed her whole attitude that you know there are I think she started to accept different ways for different people you have to find, there's no one answer is what I'm going to conclude with. There's no one answer to reflection, different ways for different people. You find what works for you best. I couldn't say it better, Marina. And I did like the way you used the term optional there, that it is optional, but you're respectful of others who are happy to go with the reflection. And Marina has a wonderful ability to bring reluctant people along with her. Thank you to Marina and Agnes for their time. If you've got a comment or query or would like to appear on a future episode of Talking HE, then please email santanu at santanuvasant.com. Thanks for listening. I've been Santanu Vasant and this has been Talking HE.